Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to live this morning, and uh, it in verses 1 through 9. But we are, we're wrapping up our message theme called the ripple effect. This idea that there is a decision that we make on an everyday basis, whether small or large, and it has a consequence, whether for good or bad is up to you. And there is something that ripples through, and we know that we are actually the result of the greatest decision, the greatest choice, and that is uh, God sending His Son, and that has rippled through eternity. Now we find ourselves here in this place. And so what we're talking about today is we're just going to walk through these nine verses, and it is all about the prophet Isaiah's commissioning. And what I find super interesting about this is where he's being sent into and the message he's being sent into with it. And we find this quite challenging context, but before we get into it, let's actually read the Bible, because that's always a win. If nothing, if you remember nothing else, and if I say absolute garbage after this, we read the Bible, so it's all good. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. How incredible is that? I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Up verse 2, above him were seraphim, literally translated burning ones, each with six wings. With two the wings they covered their face, with two their feet, and with two they were flying. Oh, with two they flew. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That mention of holy three times is actually like a Hebrew grammar technique. There was no exclamation marks, no italics, no underlines back in Hebrew. And so what they would do in order to emphasize words is they would repeat them. Hence why in the New Testament you say, Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Jesus doesn't have a lisp or a speech impediment. He's repeating it in order to emphasize it. But very rarely throughout Scripture you'll see it repeated three times, which is the ultimate emphasis. And only twice in all of Scripture do we say it, see it in reference to God's character of holy, and it is here in Isaiah 6 and then in Revelation. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thres thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. The very foundation, woe is me, I cried, Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I lived among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. The one of the seraphim then flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. He was saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. Now that ruined a lot of our theology with all these angels and coals and altars this morning, but we'll get there. 
But I remember as a young man, as a teenager, I was encounter God and I grew up in a, a church family, but I made my own personal faith decision at the age of like 13, 14 via a youth camp. And I remember hearing this statement, I think it was in like a rap though, because I hadn't yet got to a Zaire at the age of 14, because that's intimidating. <laughs> and it was, here I am, send me. And I remember the excitement around this concept of God, send me, use me, let me be a part of this plan. I'm not sure what the plan is yet, but send me and we'll work it out later. And what we see with this prophet Isaiah, what he's being commissioned into is really unique. What God is sending him into is a context that we see in verse 1, which is in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, the king had to die in order for, the Lord, for Isaiah to see the vision. But unless you know what King Isaiah was all about, that means absolutely nothing. It's just like a historical fact. But what we see here is that King Uzziah was actually, he was the greatest king of Judah after Solomon. Like Solomon had a united kingdom, and after Solomon just reads like the who's who of dysfunction, except for like Je Jehoshaphat, which is a stellar name, by the way. <laughs> and we go through generations of kings, and we get to King Uzziah. And King Uzziah is enthroned at the age of 16. 16, he's put in charge of an entire nation. Talk about unqualified. Talk about, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got young people and we've been youth pastors. I know some 16 year olds. I would not put them in charge of this nation. <laughs> and we see that this guy was put in this nation and in this position of desperation, he did the best thing he could do is he sought the Lord. He sought after the Lord. He sought the face of God. And soon he realized that in his obedience, that everything he touched started turning to gold. But after 52 years of reigning, he sort of lost sight of the source and then started to look at his own hand. It was like, yo, everything I touch is turning to gold. And his heart became proud and it got turned from the source to him. And it, it says that he actually decided that in his pride, he would actually go and perform a religious act within the temple that he wasn't allowed to do and he walked out a leper and the last 11 years of his reign was actually spent in exile before he died. What a story. <laughs> Age of 16, man, that's, let's make that into a movie, but an, a, a decent Christian, solid movie. Um, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so w we see that what Uzziah built was stability. He built certainty. He was the one that pushed back the boundaries of the oppressors that had oppressed Judah for generations. He actually stood in the gap in his obedience and he pushed the boundary into the Philistines, into the place where, rewind back to David, they were the enemy, they were the oppressors, and we get Uzziah pushing it back. He became their solidity, he became their certainty, and now he's died. And in addition to their, their great leader dying and perishing, there's now rumors of this nation up north 
called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are getting a little bit loose with how they're dealing with their people, and they start hearing rumors of conquer. And then there's these pesky prophets that come and start telling them, repent, or that you're going to get taken away into exile, all to say that the prophet Isaiah is being sent into not a culture of solidity, not a culture where they have it all together, but he is being sent into uncertainty. Incredible, because God's like, I need to get a message to my people. And this is the prime time. I need to send my person. I need to send my message. I need to send him into uncertainty, which tells me this. God is the God of uncertainty. Even in uncertain times, God is still enthroned. Yeah. (laughs) We see political uproar, economic questions, We see a culture where Isaiah is being sent into, where his message is being so confronted by the people. Not at all like our time. Nothing like our time. No, we've got it all together in 2021. In fact, everything is solid. No one has any questions around anything to do with the economy. The budget was 100% made everyone happy. We now have a hope in the, the name of budget. No, there's, there's a sense of uncertainty and question. And God in his wisdom says, I'm going to send them in. We are sent as Christ followers into the position of uncertainty. When you're sent into your workplace and your coworker is going through a family breakup, maybe they're walking through personal divorce, maybe their kid is in hospital or whatever the circumstance is, they're questioning on their uncertainty is so rich and they don't have a hope. But we have a hope that is beyond circumstance. We have a hope that isn't built in what we see, but what is unseen. We have a hope that is the anchor of our soul. It is the, the light. We don't walk by faith sight we walk by faith and we get to walk into uncertainty knowing that God is the God of uncertainty and we have this message we have this message man this is the good aircon spot right here we have a message of potency we have a message of hope so know that whatever you walk into Whatever the context, the, the person in your workplace who's probably the most confronting, the most, you know, you know that guy. He's watching you. He's watching your response. I love Pastor Dan O'Farrell's story about when he was in the mines and the guys would come around and make fun of him for all the, the usual Christian reasons. But when everyone left and it was just him, those same people would start to come, one by one, one by one. They saw that in their uncertainty, there was a solidity to his life, and they were watching. They maybe have been saying one thing, but they were hoping, please let him not break. Please let him not break, because he is so solid, and he is the nearest thing I have to a hope right now. You're being sent in your workplace, and even in the biggest context of turmoil, even in maybe questions of where you're going to live, in terms of questions of where's my next paycheck, or whatever that looks like, someone is watching you, and they're saying, please let them not break. 
please let them not break because you might be the closest thing in their life to a hope. Being sent into uncertainty. And this year, I think we've experienced a great deal of uncertainty, a great deal as a church. We've seen many things, many families, many questions come about. And it's my greatest joy that when people ask, and they always ask with like this look in their eyes, so how's the church? They're expecting an answer that they hope don't, they don't hear, but, and I go, man, never been so hope-filled, never been so faith-filled. Because our hope is not in what is seen, but it is what is on unseen. And so the very fact that the culture, the context is uncertain, God says, perfect. Perfect. That's exactly where I need to send my son. That's exactly where I need to send my daughter. Their families having their own struggles? Perfect. It means that they won't be the one getting the glory. It's going to all come to me. There's this solidity that we find in uncertainty, and his name is in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, we hear this story of um, two men, Paul and Silas, in their own story of uncertainty. They're literally walking around, and they're going to the temple to pray, and they get confronted by a girl who starts prophesying uh, through the spirit of the devil. And after a while, they cast her out, and in classic terms, they get prosecuted for it. They get put in front of people, they get flogged, they get accused, and they get thrown in jail. Why? Because they set a person free. Seems just. They're in the midst of uncertainty, they're in the midst of insecurity, they're in the midst of injustice. And they find themselves in the bottom of a cell, and they start to sing. And I love the verse in here, it says, and the prisoners were listening. The prisoners were listening as they sung hymns and prayed to their God. At midnight, the cell is shaken. The doors fling open and the jailer, obviously responsible for the prisoners, knows that if any one of those prisoners leaves, it's his life on the line. And so what does he do? He sees the doors open, he sees the, the frantic motion, and he draws, to, uh, draws his sword to kill himself, get it over and done with, better him than anyone else. And he cries out, don't kill yourself, it's Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas say, come. And this man, witnessing their solidity and uncertainty, come before Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Well, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole family, your whole family will be saved. What if Paul and Silas hadn't been faithful in the uncertainty? Not only would the prisoners not have witnessed, not only would the uh, other prisoners not heard the prayers and the faithfulness and the potential hope in this people, but a jailer, the very enemy that was standing against them, wouldn't have been saved, nor his family been baptized. Rewind a little bit, we get this guy named Stephen standing before the people, and he, he, he starts justifying who God is. He starts speaking the truth of God. They don't really like that because they like their own ways, they like their own comfort, they like their own tradition. And so what they do is, again, in a great form of justice, they said, let's stone him to death. 
That sounds just, that sounds certain. In this position, man, anyone would expect Stephen to bail out, to be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you, that's a big stone, leave me alone. <laughs> but he leans in and he says, Father, they don't know what they do. It sounds like Jesus when he's on the cross. And who's standing a few feet away but Paul or Saul of Tarsus? And that's the very Paul that we see in the jail with Silas. I wonder if that moment had anything to do with Paul's conversion. With that moment to the road to Damascus, he encountered this and all this was stirring within his spirit. The fact that there was a man sent into uncertainty was the very potential for hope in his life. There was a, there was a movement that started. Without Stephen, there may not have been Paul. Without Paul, there's no prisoners hearing. There's no people hearing the hope. There's no jailer being saved. There's no family being baptized. In 1871, in Chicago, there is the great Chicago fire. And there's a man and his family living in the city of Chicago. They're quite prosperous in their business and their finances there. And he's actually a devout Christian. He's actually planned to travel over to the UK in order to help out the, the campaigns with D.L. Moody. The Chicago fire absolutely devastates Chicago and devastates his home, devastates his business, and he loses his son one of five children, one boy, four girls. His name is Mr. Stafford. Stafford. He and his wife, Anna, picked themselves up and two years later in the turn of economics, find the business is now even worse off. And so decide, you know what? I'm gonna send my family ahead of me to, to help so I can clean up this mess and I'm gonna join them in the UK. So he sends his wife and his four daughters on a boat over to the UK to meet him there. Halfway through the trip, the boat encounters another vessel, crashes and sinks dramatically. All four girls die. And he gets a text, well the equivalent of a text. It's 1871, y'all. <laughs> I don't know what they're called, it's a, what's a pre-page? Anyway, Morse code. <laughs> Telegram, that's the word we're looking for. Doesn't, doesn't know, just hears the stories of the ship being shipwrecked. Doesn't know whether his family survived, just gets a single telegram. And it says, survived alone. And it was from his wife, Anna. Shortly after, Stafford traveled to meet his grieving wife and as the ship passed the spot where his daughters passed away, the captain came and knocked on his door and said, this is the place. And so this man here in his hopelessness, here in his challenge, was inspired and wrote the, or wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou, have taught, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God has sent us into uncertainty, and it doesn't mean you will have certainty, but it means you have a hope that will be certain, that will never pass away. You may not know why things have been happening to you, but you know the God who makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him. 
you've been sent into uncertainty and that is a hymn that is echoed through generations that have encouraged that has been the very heart cry of men of women of children emanating their heart to God so I don't have words for my grief but it is well it is well with my soul Isaiah gets sent into this context sent into unsecurity in familiarity and familiarity <laughs> making up words this morning send in text in 1871 too <laughs> but God in his wisdom decides how do I equip Isaiah to go and do the work that I'm about to do into the uncertainty and so he decides you know the best way is I need to show him myself I need to give him a revelation of who I truly am. To bring the kingdom, you need to know the king. To bring the kingdom, you need to know the king. It's so easy, I wear, I wear reading glasses, I'm not particularly blind, sorry for those who are actually blind in this place. But what they do is the, the frames hold a lens that I look through that help me see clearly when I'm on computers. And my frames hold the lens which I see through. And what we see here is God says, there's a lot of things that are going to be pressuring you to be framing my, your perspective of what's really going on in certain ways. There's a oppression, there's confrontation, there's going to be prosecution. There's going to be people that don't like you. All these things are tempting to frame, to hold the lens which he looks through. Now, I need to overwhelmingly push them out with the greatest revelation that he can ever know. I need to frame his understanding of his purpose, not in his purpose, but in his purpose giver. I need to frame who he is before I send him out. Before he was sent, he had a revelation of who God was. To get a new word, he had a new revelation. And I love that even before this, this isn't, scholars don't think that this is Isaiah's first prophecy trip. He's been a prophet for a little bit. He's been serving God already. I know there's people been serving God for a while in this house. But let me tell you, there is a new word and a new revelation for you. There is a new word and a new revelation for you. He is not finished with you yet. There is a new context, there is a new spirit, and he needs to give you a new revelation of who he is, and there is a new word that is right in season for where you are being sent. And it is unique. You know, the prophet Isaiah is actually coexisting at the same time as the prophet Amos, sent to different areas, sent to different people with different messages. Two prophets, well, they have the same mission, don't they? No, so unique. You might be sent into different contexts, but you have a unique calling, a unique word that God is sending you, only you can carry that. And to bring the kingdom, you need to know the king. It's really hard to prophesy and be a conduit for the king if you don't know him. <laughs> Rather than being wrapped up in the calling, we actually need to be wrapped up in the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. And you will bear fruit that will last. There's a sense that, man, we really can't do this by ourselves, can we? He is immeasurable, he can do immeasurably more than what we can ask, think, or imagine. 
Isaiah 55 says, I don't think the way you think. My ways aren't the way that you work. For as, this heart, uh, as the skies soar above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. There's just a sense that, man, would you have a fresh revelation of who God is? Have you, have you heard from God recently? Because in this passage, we see that Isaiah is purified and the coal is actually indicative of a substitutionary sacrifice. And the, the fact that we had unclean lips is out of the overflow of the hearth, the mouth speaks. And so the unclean lips talk about an unclean heart. And as the, un, the substitutionary sacrifice encountered his unclean heart, things transformed and his ears were open and he was able to hear the Lord. Do you know you have the, the, the Lord is always speaking and he just needed to tune in. Like right now, some of us have better phone reception than others, given. <laughs> but there is TV waves, there's radio waves going on in this place, and it, all it would take is someone to tune into them in order to hear what God is saying. God is speaking to you. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He doesn't want to just use you. He wants to send someone whole. He wants to redeem you. He wants to send a whole person. And he's going to send you into that uncertainty because he knows that if nothing else, if you don't know what to do, that the very character of God that is in you will speak louder than anything else. Yeah. We've mentioned Matthew 5, 17 a couple of weeks in a row, which is talking about you are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. But no, you put it on a, a lamp on a lampstand so it shines the entire room. So to let your light and your deeds shine before others so they may glorify your Father in heaven. But the verse before that talks about you are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. If light is your deeds, then salt is your substance. It is your character that wherever you go, you may not have to do anything, but your very character and substance, because you've been with the king, leaks out of you. You may be in the most uncertain of situations, but the very fact you've been with the king, that your lens of reality is framed by a revelation of God, means that as you enter in, things change. People find salvation. Your work friends understand value system. Your, uh, your people and your family see that there's something different around you. Sent into uncertainty and to bring the kingdom, you need to know the king. Man, God wants to give you a fresh revelation of himself. He doesn't want you living over what you saw 30 years ago. He doesn't want you li living off what you think God was 10 years ago. He wants to speak to you now. You just tune in to what he's saying. He wants to give you a hope, but not a superficial hope, not a religious tradition hope, not a church attendance hope, but a living hope, one that carries with you and follows you as Isaiah walked into uncertainty, he was sent knowing who his king was. He knew that if the angels are standing there, emanating out, singing, holy, and if God is for me, who can be against me? Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well. 
Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.